guess we could say welcome back, right? It, it's been a while since we've gotten together. I think the last time I recorded an episode was in late 2022. And the last episode that came out was in January of this year. And needless to say, I kind of miss the streets. I miss being able to get on here, share my opinion, uh, tell the truth, because there's so many other places where you can't do that. And I'm just glad that the opportunity has presented itself to return. And I think part of that is from watching my peers in the podcasting space, the ones that I admire, um, come back after taking whatever length of time they felt appropriate and understanding that it's okay to take those breaks. I think for me, part of the reason why I didn't like the season format is because I had that mindset that you got to produce, you got to produce, you got to produce. And being able to walk away from that um, and really creating a product that you believe in that is authentic. And that's not to say that the first iteration of Equity Matters wasn't authentic. It absolutely was. But this is my effort to show my own evolution. And seeing that you notice that you can actually see me, which is completely different. I am stepping out. I am stepping on those insecurities and say, hey, this is me. This is who you're going to get. A few things that you may have noticed have changed since the last time that we got together. I've cut my hair. And part of that is because I couldn't maintain it anymore. My braider, my wife didn't have time for it. So I said, all right, let's do what we got to do. So why would I come back after five months? Well, part of that being that I realized that the work just simply wasn't done. There are more stories to tell. There are more realizations. There are more truths to be told. And part of my responsibility, at least what I believe as the leader that I am, as the podcaster that I am, the, the practitioner, the academic, all those pieces of me, I want to be in a position to tell those stories. And that is what brings me back to the microphone today. I also want to raise the idea that it's okay to tell these stories. I think in the work that we do, whether it's social work, public health, uh, public leadership, any of those spaces that we occupy, someone has to tell the story because it gets lost. We get so caught up in the day to day and having to provide services to review policies, whatever it has to be, you know, running your programs that we don't take a moment to reflect on what we've done. We don't take a moment to reflect on the barriers that we've overcome. And it's unfortunate because we put ourselves in this hamster wheel of sorts where we're, it's just another cog in the machine. It's just another day where you have to go and do the thing that you did yesterday to produce the same spacely sprocket over and over again. That doesn't have to be the case. I think storytelling, I've talked about this previously on the pod, is a powerful tool for advocating for change. It's a powerful tool for developing policy, making sure people understand the exact need was necessary to be transformed as far as systems change goes. All of those things, they, they play a role. And so with Equity Matters returning, part of it for me is being in a space to tell those stories. So we are here today because I realized that it's been around three years since the idea of Equity Matters first came into fruition. And I've told this story time and time again, but I'm going to tell it one more time about how Equity Matters came to be because it's important, especially in the context of where we are right now. 
Equity Matters was formed out of a point of frustration for me. I was a graduate student. I was working in state government. That hasn't changed. And we were starting to really experience the inequities attached to the COVID-19 pandemic. And we saw the data and people were starting to finally come to a place where they wanted to talk about equity, where they wanted to talk about racial inequities. And I felt in the ways that things were framed, something was missing. I don't know if it was the voices were always the same. I felt like they were always tapping on the same people to do this work. Or if it was the misnomer between equality and equity because they're not the same thing. And people just wouldn't get it. And it really dawned on me that Equity Matters podcast could be the vehicle for articulating exactly what equity is and how do we get there. Shout out to all the guests who appeared on that first iteration who are able to tell those stories. And we continue these stories today because where we are now, three years removed, we just experienced the anniversary of George Floyd's, mur uh, George Floyd's murder. And it's dawned on me that there were a lot of promises made by a lot of people to change, to do things differently, to support people of color from the bottom of the organizational chart all the way to the top. And I don't think we've upheld those promises. I think it's time to dust off those strategic plans. It's time to look back at some of those racial justice and anti-racist statements those affinity groups that you stood up that no one ever attended because they never felt like it was a safe place. It's time to return to that because we realized that nothing has changed. Or at least there was a lot of attention for a short period of time where everyone was talking about racism. Racism is a public health crisis. Racism is killing people. And all of those things still remain true. I'm getting ready to go to an environmental justice conference next week. So I'm moderating a panel on environmental justice, health, and equity. And again, at the root cause of these inequities, we typically find some form of racism. Whether we're talking about redlining, whether we're talking about um, institutional racism that's been embedded and baked into practices across a variety of organizations, it's there. And we have to be willing to, one, acknowledge it. Acknowledge that there have been, I don't want to call them missteps because it was intentional. There were intentional decisions made to limit opportunity for people of color. Today I'm being very specific for black people. And the result has been these inequities that we see currently. And so when you put out a statement in 2020 uh, saying that we're going to do better, right? You, you've got... Rep uh, representatives and you have senators and congresspeople kneeling with uh, kente cloth on like th things like that all performative right like it, it it makes somebody feel good but it doesn't change the behaviors you gotta have both so the first part is to acknowledge the problem great second part is what are we going to do about it are we going to continue to uphold the status quo? Because I think that's where a lot of us go, right? It's like, oh, we've tried to change. We didn't have the money. We didn't have the people. People weren't bought into the process. Well, why? Why not? Why aren't people bought into your process? Is it because it's superficial at best? 
Is it because you knew when you drafted these documents that they were only going to be documents? What are we doing to prepare the black leadership for tomorrow, right? Working in government right now, one of the biggest challenges that we see is the workforce. There is none. People have left, people have retired, people are not entering. There is this huge gap that we're gonna experience where there is no institutional knowledge to pass on. And when I think about the meetings that I occupy and the spaces that I go, and I'm the only person in the room, I don't represent all black folk. I don't want to. I want more black folk represented, if, if that makes any sense. I want people to be able to have diverse opinions and be able to contribute to whatever the solution may be that we're trying to address whatever that problem is. I want them to be available, accessible, prepared, and so what are we going to do to reverse the trends that we saw? Because right now, all I'm seeing is a bunch of broken promises, promises. If you know, you know. I got that from the 3LW song. That's when the idea actually came into my head. But it goes back to what have we done? Have we transformed our hiring practices? Are they sustainable? Was it just for a trial period? I was working for an organization at one time and they, they banned the box, right? That you didn't have to check the box that you had a prior record or any prior convictions. Excellent step in the right direction. Most organizations don't do that. Right now we're getting to a place where we're actually providing questions to candidates before their interview. Love that. Because the type of anxiety that people experience, especially black folk, brown folk, that they experience when going into these spaces, it already puts them at a disadvantage when they're having the conversation. The last interview that I participated in, there were five people interviewing me. And this interview lasted less than 30 minutes. And when I walked away, there was, in my mind, there was no way, no way that these people knew anything about me to make an informed decision about my skills, about my abilities, because the questions didn't even line up with what the job was, just to throw that out there. But it just didn't feel like I was positioned for success. And so, again, what are we going to do now that we've entered into this space? Like, you've had the racial awakening, you've seen the protests, you've seen the deaths, you made the statement, but what are you going to do? And I hate to be asking this question three years later. We're still asking this question because things have not changed. And so I would call on individuals, people who are in positions of authority, people who are high on that organizational chart, myself included. I challenge myself to do just a little bit more every day because it's, it's totally feasible. It's not impossible. We are in positions of privilege, right? It's, it gets a bad rep, and I, I'm, I'm starting to unlearn a lot of what I've, I've been taught around this idea of white privilege. It's, it's, it's privilege, right? You have the ability to make change. So what are you going to do? One of the things that I've observed as of late is this outpouring or this uh, lack of support for chief diversity officers. And for a period of my life, I felt like that was the direction that I wanted to go in. I wanted to take on a role where I would oversee an organization's diversity efforts. And the more I read about it, the more I started to understand some of the mechanics of the job. I felt personally uncomfortable because 
anybody who knows me knows that I hate checkbox type activities. Like if I'm going to commit to something, I'm going to do it and I'm going to see it through. This felt like a checkbox. Because in many cases, people are not given the ability or the autonomy or the support, the infrastructure to really thrive. I've seen equity programs, whole programs that don't have budgets. So how are you going to see this thing into the next year? Who's going to be responsible for making sure these things happen the way that they're supposed to? Again, broken promises. And so as we prepare to wrap, because I didn't want to spend too much time on here. I wanted to just ease back in. I wanted to dip my toe into the water to check the temperature. I want you to spend some time over the next few days, few weeks, whenever, thinking about what has my organization said about racial justice, especially in that, that period of 2020, right? When everybody was doing it, it was, it was Vogue. Everybody was wearing Jordan 1s. Everyone was talking about racial equity. What has our organization done? Is it still going on? Is it being supported? And so that is enough to get us started with this brief return. But a few other things that I just, just have to mention. I have to mention. So people ask me all the time, when you were podcasting, were you able to be the same person on the pod that you are in meetings or in your personal life? And I, I realized over time it really had to evolve. It had to come together in a more intentional way. What I observed or what I experienced in the very beginning of potting was kind of like this very far out, like almost radical person, right? The, this angry person who felt there were so many limitations in all the systems and nothing could be done about it. And on the other hand, I am a part of those systems. I am, in many cases, a gatekeeper, right? Like I'm a person who makes decisions about resources, about people, about technology, and I had to realize that I had to bring that same kind of energy that I had as a podcaster to my work. And so I, I noticed the way that I would enter into spaces would change. I, I would listen like I've always done. I've always been a listener first. And then I would dive into, well, have we considered this yet? And then nudge, nudge just enough to get one person to buy in. And usually it's the one person I need to make things change. And so as, as emerging practitioners, as people who are growing in this work, keep that strategy in mind. So you don't have to necessarily be the greatest agitator in every meeting. It's going to be very difficult for you to gain social capital that way. But you might want to be the person that raises the idea or plants the seed that someone is going to take and run with. And make sure it's the right person because I have done it and it's backfired on me where I ended up having to clean up a mess but we can say that for another day. The other thing that I want to mention here is that you notice that I'm pushing video. I talked about this idea of insecurities earlier and a lot has happened since the last time that we recorded. I have really grown in my therapy journey. And so being able to have someone or a space there, I can, I can, talk authentically and unpack some of the things that I've experienced and how it shows up today because it, it shows up in ways that you take for granted. I'll leave it at that. But 
I've been able to say, hey, try the thing that scares you, especially while it scares you. So for someone who shied away from video for such a long time, here we are. And we're going to use YouTube. We're going to push on YouTube. Sure, we'll still be available on all the other streaming platforms, but I need you to see me. I need to see the way that I respond to things, the way that I react. And again, this idea that you have to do the thing that you're uncomfortable with if you want to be the person that you want to become later. I don't know when the next episode will be. I don't know what it'll be about. And that's okay. I'm taking my time. I'm figuring it out step by step, episode by episode. Might not even look like this the next time. I might move things around. I'm trying to figure out what I like. But for the meantime, I want you to just get used to hearing my voice again. Because I'm glad to be back. I'm glad to bring back Equity Matters. Especially in a way, in a platform that is challenging to me. Because I tend to take on projects, master them, and then walk away. And so for this, it's going to take a little bit of extra effort. So that's good for me. But that's all right. It's even better for you. So until next time, folks, you know exactly what I'm going to say. You probably haven't heard it in a while, but that's all right, too. Equity matters.